0: Hey, good morning, friends. It's good to see you all this morning. Enjoying this summer so far. It's ama- amazing weather, right? So it's uh, pretty, pretty awesome. But it's good to uh, be here with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're joining us. And uh, really happy just to be here with this family to be able to kick off our week this way, remembering that God is real and that He's awesome, worthy of our praise, and that He has told us. Uh, who He is, revealed Himself to us, and how to live in His Word, and get to uh, hear that taught this morning, hear from Him. It's uh, just a great way to start off our week. So I was really looking forward, forward to our time together. I want to remind us of something that I talked about a number of times this spring, and if you were here with us uh, in the spring, you might remember that, when we were doing a series on the first half of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, chapters 1 through 3. We were calling it the series, uh, Who Do You Think You Are?, and it was really all about our identity in Christ that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins believing that he died for you and that he rose again 3 days later then you put your faith in him then the bible tells us that you are not only have your sins forgiven but even more than that you're actually made into a new person you're you're born again Jesus would say you're you're a, a new creation 2 Corinthians 5:17 would say that you're you have all like you go from being a, a, a sinner to a saint, from being uh, to to being unrighteous and blameworthy to being blameless and righteous. You go from being uh, uh, separated from God to being reconciled to God. Like all these incredible things happen when when you put your faith in Christ, you're you're a new person. You have a new identity. And one of the things that I've said throughout that series is that who you are should determine what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And that, that's opposite, oftentimes, of how we think about identity now in our culture. We often think that what we do determines who you are. And so we think if we work really hard at something, we become successful, then that's what makes you a successful person, or that's what makes you into a valuable person, or something like that. But the Bible says it's opposite. It's, it's who you are that should determine what you do, not what you do that should determine who you are. And we know this in some cases in life. Like, I'm, I'm a dad right i have two 5 year old boys well that's part of who i am and that greatly determines what I do. Right now, a lot of what I'm doing is playing with Legos, which is awesome. Like, it's one of the greatest things about having boys again and little kids again in the house is, like, I get an excuse to play with Legos. Before, no kids. It was weird when I busted out the Legos. But now, five-year-old boys, I play with Legos as much as I want. It's great. Plus, it means I get to go see all the fun kid movies that are out. Like, the other day, we went and saw How to Train a Dragon 2. It's, like, one of the best movies I've seen all year. I love that movie. (laughs) On top of that, what I'm watching like in replay at our house right now is the Lego movie. And as a result, I actually know all the words to the song Everything Is Awesome. For anyone who knows that, if I actually watched that movie, then you know that, that that means I'm more awesome than an awesome possum because you know everything <laughs> is awesome. But anyways, that song, like I know all of that well, because of who I am. I'm a dad of two five-year-old boys, determines what I do. But in the Bible. That is incredibly important for us to realize. Who you are comes first. What we do flows from that. That is incredibly important. It's basically the essence of our faith. Uh, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, spends three chapters driving home who we are because of what Christ has done. And then chapter 4, he turns the corner a little bit and he says, here are two things that are absolutely important, vital to help you live in light of who you are. The first thing he lists, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, is the church. It's Christian community. We need people in our lives who are also trying to follow Christ to help us mature in our faith, to live out who we are. We need people who are going to speak the truth and love to us, or people that are going to equip us to live out who we are. That's really important. The other thing he mentions, and what we talked about last week, is that we need to be able to make the, or we need to make the decision. We need to choose to put off our old nature, to quit living like who we are no longer, if you're in Christ, and to put on your new self, to live in light of who you already are in Christ, By having your minds renewed by the Spirit, so that we would remember, this is what Christ has done for me, let me live in light of that. When we're making that choice, remembering what Christ has done for us, and when we're in Christian community, they're helping us live in light of who we really are, then we will begin to live in light of our identity. That's what he says, first half of chapter 4. The rest of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 25 through the end of the book, is Paul finally getting into, okay, here's how you should live. And again, guys, don't reverse that order. Who you are comes first. Things that help you live out who you are comes next. And then live it how you should live comes last. But it's still important. It still comes. And so that's what we're going to begin looking at this morning. How do we live out who we are in Christ, what kind of conduct, what kind of characteristics should be true of us in light of our identity in Jesus Christ. And so uh, basically the question we're going to be wrestling with this morning is what does a godly life look like and what moves us into it? And so uh, let me read the passage, Ephesians 4, 25 through uh, uh, the end the, uh, end of the chapter, and then we'll start to pull it apart. Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right. What I'm going to do here is just draw our attention to three uh, really important things. First is the, the basis to live a godly life. The second is the description of a godly life. And then then the third is the the power to live a godly life. Now, this idea, the beginning with the, the basis to live a godly life, really all comes out of this really key word at the very beginning of this passage. It's the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, good practice is always to ask the question, what is therefore? Therefore. Well, in this case, therefore is incredibly important. In fact, I would make this really like gigantic statement that what the word therefore is referring to is the very thing that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. What the word therefore is pointing to is what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. Because as you just follow along with what I was reading, what you see is that what in this passage, you're just getting a, a list of ethical behaviors, right? Things to do and things not to do. Well, if you have studied world religions and all the major religions of the world, if you were to study that, or perhaps you have, one of the things you'll see is that this list is very similar to any other list that you're going to see in any other religion that most of the world religions of the day teach a very similar ethical code or morality. And that in that sense, if you were to say that all the religions teach the same thing, that if that's what you're referring to, then I would agree that they do teach really similar when it comes to how to live, what to do, what not to do. But what sets Christianity apart from other world religions is the basis in order to do that. It's, it's the motivation, it's the support, it's the rationale, it's the power to do that. And that's what the word, therefore, is pointing to. See, therefore, it refers back to verse 24, and 24 builds off chapters 1 through 3. Verse 24 says this, it says, um, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Well, how do we do that? Why could we do that? Well, the reason that we can put on a new self is because a new self has already been given to us by Jesus. That's the identity that we have received from him, not based on what we've done, but what he has done. Now hear this. All other world religions teach that in order to, To be accepted by God, you have to keep the moral code. It's a similar moral code, but they say you have to keep it to be accepted. But Christianity begins where all other world religions hope to end. See, Christianity says because you're accepted, based not on what you do but what Jesus has done, then keep the moral code. and Don't do it in order to be accepted, but because you already are. And guys, that's amazing. That's what therefore is referring to. Because you've already been accepted by God, made new, a new creation, adopted into his family as a child of God, therefore obey. Not if you obey. If you obey, then you will be adopted into God's family. That's not Christianity. Therefore, because you already have been accepted, now obey. And man, that's beautiful isn't it? I love that. I love that because I know myself, I know I wouldn't stand a chance if it was the other way around. But because of the grace of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, we can be accepted. And because we are accepted in Christ, we have the motivation and the power to obey out of love in response, and as a result of what Jesus has done for us. That is absolutely phenomenal. Okay, so you might be here and you think, okay, I, That's good news. Thanks for reminding me of that, but I know that. Hopefully you do know that. If you've been around this church for long, you've heard me say that basic thing every week since we've started. it's, It's the essence of our belief. It's the core of Christianity. So we go back to it over and over again. But one of the reasons we go back to it over and over again is because even though in our mind we often can say, yes, I've heard that before and I believe it, functionally how we live our lives, we fail to live it out. We fail to live in light of it. We forget that it's true, or we live as if it's not true, regularly. I do that, and I know you do that too. It's so sad that we do that, but we often do that. And so, what I I wanted to spend some time on that, and I want to, I wanted to spend some time on that because when we get into a list of do's and don'ts, which again, that's what we find in this passage, it's so easy to revert back to thinking contrary to the gospel. In fact, I just I just want like before I read this, I want to press this down just a little bit more for us. So hang in there, but like evaluate your heart when it comes to this because what I'm about to do is I'm about to read this passage again. Again, all the things, do this, don't do this, put put away falsehood, put on speaking the truth. Put put away language that tears down, put on language that builds up. I mean, all that stuff. And what happens if you're like me? When you hear a list like that, what you normally find yourself doing is evaluating yourself. Okay, how am I doing here? Am I, like, am I doing that? Am I not doing that? But we evaluate ourself, our own behavior in light of our standing before God and before others. And when we read a list of things that we should be doing or not do, we usually think about it as, okay, how am I doing that? I'm not doing good. With What does that mean? And we think what it means is it affects our standing before God or our standing before others. And, guys, that's not in line with the gospel. For example, put off falsehood. Put on speaking the truth in love or speak on, put on honesty. And we think, man, okay, I'm doing How am I doing with that? Okay, you know, I think I'm. I think I'm doing all right with that. I think I'm. I think I'm doing good with that. Look, hey God, look at me. Like I'm. I'm doing good. Don't aren't you? Aren't you like man? We're close. We're tight because look, I'm because of my behavior, because of what I've been doing. Or we think, look at it and we think, oh man, I'm not doing so good at that. Man, I've really been, really been telling lies lately. I've been, I've been hiding. I've been putting on masks. I don't want people to know what I'm like. Man, I'm, I'm not doing so good. I'm not doing so hot. Oh man. What's that do? Man, I, I, that just really makes me feel like I'm on shaky ground with God. It makes me want to run from God. Because what if God, when I mean, God's going to know this about me? He's not going to want to have anything to do with me. Or, and one of the things that often I do is I think, oh, man, man how bad? Like, I'm, oh, I'm really doing bad there. But, oh, at least I'm not doing as bad as Brent. <laughs> Because I mean, like Brent, come on. Brent and I were tubing the river yesterday together, and I got to hang out with him. And I, I know I'm doing better than he is. (laughs) Just picking on you, brother. But we start comparing ourselves with others in order to make ourselves feel a little bit better. And what does that all result in, guys? What it results in if you feel if you're evaluating based on your standing, how you're doing behaviorally and thinking, it affects your standing. Then it either leads to pride or it leads to despair. It leads to pride if you think, oh man, look, I'm doing a good job, God, therefore you should accept me. We're close. Or I'm doing a good job and this guy's not. And so look, I'm better than him. Or it leads to despair. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I suck. I'm not doing a good job. And now God doesn't want anything to do with me. Guys, that's not what we're to evaluate. Our standing before God is not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. And so when you read this list, if you start evaluating your standing before God and others, and you're evaluating the complete wrong thing, you've missed the essence of Christianity. Don't do that. Instead, when you evaluate, yes, read this list and evaluate. How are you doing? That's good. That's where we hold up the scripture to us and see what it says we're like. Do that. Evaluate it. Use this to evaluate how you're living. But what you're evaluating is not you're standing before God and others, but you're evaluating your response to God's love. You're evaluating how you are loving God in response to his love. You're evaluating how you're communicating love to God. One of my favorite teachings of Jesus that has just been super helpful to me is in John chapter 14, verses 21, 23. And he even says it again in verse 24, but 21, 23, he says this. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. What, I, what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage is that the way that we speak love to God is through obedience. I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with Dr. Chapman's book, Five Love Languages. Um, It's kind of a popular book. Basically, to quickly summarize this theory, is that everybody has... Uh, primary way to both speak and receive love. And that you can receive love from a lot of different ways, but there's one way usually that is just really impactful, really like speaks your language. And so like for mine, uh, for example, is acts of service. And so this is like completely unsexy, but like if Crystal if, if really wants to show love to me, then she'll, she'll have picked up the house. Like the house will be vacuumed, which she does all the time because she's awesome. But like when I come home and the house is clean, and which is hard to do when you have three kids and a dog running around in a small little house. But when I get home, the house is clean. I just feel so loved by that. Like it really is. If like this is like she had written a lo- long love note to me, but it's found everywhere I look <laughs> when the house is clean. That speaks love to me. For her, it's gift receiving and giving and giving. But for if I'm really going to show love to Krista, all I, like if I was just show show up with some flowers out of the blue. Oh, man, like I hung the moon. Like that's her primary love language. Like she just loves that. Well, guys, Jesus is saying here, God's primary love language is obedience. The best way to speak love to God is to obey God. The way that we say, God, I love you so much is that we put off falsehood and we speak in honesty. So we no longer steal but we work unto the Lord so that we also have stuff to give to those who are in need. These things they shout love to God. So when you're reading this, what you evaluate is not your standing before God, but you're evaluating how you're responding with love to God through obedience in response to his love for you. See, first John 4:19 says that we love because God first loved us. So we will not show love to God. We will not love God if it wasn't for God first loving us. So again, it's the therefore. We're doing this because of what he's already done for us. He's already loved us. He's already accepted us. This is our response. How are we returning with love? Not in order to get His love, but because we already have it. When you evaluate, evaluate the amount of love you're, you're communicating to God through your obedience. Does that make sense? That is a very long but very important intro. Let me read this passage again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil... Forgave you, Okay, two things I want to point out from this. First, you see it's the characteristics or the conduct of a godly life, and the second thing is you see the context of a godly life. So the characteristics of the, or the conduct of a godly life, just kind of walk through them. The first thing he lists here, put off falsehood and let us speak truth to our neighbor. Well, let's evaluate. Think about yourself. How are you doing with that? Paul's saying when he uses the phrase like put off or put away, he's reverting back to chapter 24. I mean, verse 24. When he says, uh, 22, he says, put off our old self, put on our new self. And you'll see throughout this that he kind of uses couplets. Don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. Put off this, put on this. Put away this, but put on this. What's really Also helpful for us, in light of the gospel, guys, is to understand that these things that we just read, they're not just correctives to how we ought to be living. Though they are that. They're telling us how to live, telling us what a godly life looks like. But they're more than that. They're not just correctives to how to live, but they're also descriptions of how we want to live. In light of who we are in Christ. Again, all of these behaviors flow out of who we are. Our identity drives our behaviors. Well, if these are descriptions of how we want to live, it's because of who we are in Christ, our new self. So when we put on our new self, then we're made in the likeness of God and holiness and righteousness. These actions, these positive actions, these godly actions, they're what naturally flow. It's really interesting. Like the word that Paul uses here is let. Over and over again, he uses let. Six times, eight verses. Why use the word let? Let, what's he say? Uh, Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Um, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Let, 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 let. Why let? Let is passive, isn't it? Let is as if it's like, allow yourself to do what you want to do. Let that happen. Let the natural thing happen. Krista and I, are. it's funny, we've gotten in this habit of how we st- talk to each other, and now we're making fun of it. But we say to each other oftentimes, like, hey, I think I'm going to let you change Della's diaper tonight. <laughs> and one of us will go, oh, really, you're going you're gonna to let me do that? Because I was just dying to do it, but I didn't know if I had the permission, if you're going to allow me to do it. Or, I'm going to let you bathe the boys tonight. Oh, Really? She's like, huh, oh, I'm so glad you're gonna let me do that. <laughs> you know, and like, but Paul uses let here for the thief. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, let him work. Things like that. Like, what do you mean, let? Why not force the thief to no longer steal? Make the thief no longer steal. But let, why does let let flows out of your new identity? Let who you are drive what you do. That's what's natural. You don't force it. You don't have to. Because you're not trying to become someone you're not. You're trying to live out who you already are. Guys, do you believe that? That's powerful. That's the gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ forgives us our sins and makes us into a new creation. And these, this list, yes, a corrective on how to live, but also a description on how you want to live. And what's he say? He says, hey, put off falsehood. Quit lying. Don't be inauthentic. Don't hide. Don't mask. Speak the truth. Why? Because you're all members of one another. You belong to one another. Those kind of things, they tear down community. Lying, falsehood, tears down community. But speaking the truth, being honest, builds up community. In light of chapter 4, Paul is saying how important community is. He says, don't, don't do that. That works against the thing that's going to help you, the Christian church, to live out who you are. Be honest. But how do we do that, guys? How do we do it? We cling to the gospel in response to what Jesus has done for us. See, if, if Jesus would die for us, knowing everything about us, if he would still choose to love us in that way, then we can know, oh, man, I am lovable, as I am, which answers the big question of all of our hearts. If people really knew me, would they love me? God says, yes. God says yes. Well then, if God would love you to that degree, then you can be honest. You don't have to put on falsehood. And because God loved you to that degree, then you would respond with love to God by being honest and putting away falsehood. How are you doing with that? Are you responding? And are you living as a result of the gospel? Does it show up in how you're living an honest life? Next thing he says here is, In anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, giving an opportunity to the devil. In this sense, anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotional response. It's a natural response to any time you see or experience injustice. You see or experience injustice, you get angry. That's good. That's actually a right response. But in that response, in that emotion, we can often sin. It's what we do with that that then leads to sin. Paul mentions a couple things that we do that, in response to sin, that doesn't walk in line with who we are in Christ. First thing is, is that we hold on to it. So he says, don't let the sun go down in your, on, on your anger. Basically, a figurative statement to say, don't hang on to this. Don't let your your, your anger simmer, because if it does, then the things in verse 31 all happen. What's he saying? 31: bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is like shouting, slander and malice, the desire, malice is the desire to do evil. Those things are often the things that happen whenever we start sinning in a response to anger. We hold on to it, we grow bitter. We hold on to it, we grow angry. He uses the word angry again, but this time angry is is speaking to uh, the action that comes from the emotion. So when we act in anger, he says, don't act in anger. You can feel anger, but don't act on it in that way. Don't shout, don't slander, don't come up with ways to hurt the other person. That's all opposite in line of who you are in Christ. That's your old self. Instead, what should you do? You should be kind. Be kind. <laughs> be tenderhearted. You know, be compassionate. Forgive one another. That's how you doing with that. Are you living like your old self? Or are you living in light of who you are in Christ? Are you bitter towards somebody? Yes, everyone in here has been wronged. Some of, some of y'all have been wronged recently, and it feels really fresh. Some of you have been hanging on to it for years and years and years. Because when you hang on to things, you give devil, the devil a foothold. And that means a lot of things, but a couple of things that that can mean is that it, it, the devil will use that to tear you up and to tear someone else up. Don't do it. Don't let, let go of that. How do we let go of that? How do we respond with kindness? How are we be tender-hearted people? How, how, how can we forgive? He says, just as God and Christ forgave you. Because it's the gospel. It's us responding to the gospel. Again, because of who God, what Jesus has done for us, we can then do this in loving response for God. We can forgive. We can let go of this bitterness and this anger and all of this stuff. When we remember that we had sinned, We had had offended God so much that only his death would be the thing that could make us right with God. When we remember that, and that he willingly did it out of love, providing for our forgiveness, man, that humbles us, does it not? Which puts you in a position to be able to forgive others. See, when you say, I would never do what they've done to me, then you take a superior stance that gives you a right to look down on and judge. But when you say, Man, I'm so messed up that God would die, had to die for me, then that humbles you to the ground and puts you in a position to be able to forgive others. And when you realize that you're so loved that God would forgive you, then it gives you the, the confidence, that, the, it gives you what you need in order to forgive others. As in response to as a result of the gospel let us not hang on to anger but let us be kind and tender hearted forgiving others the other thing he says here is let their let their in verse 21 let their uh, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work so he may share paul's saying don't don't be someone who uses people Don't steal, but even more than that, don't don't be someone who takes advantage of others, who's just a taker, using people, but instead be someone who blesses people. Someone who doesn't take, but who gives. This is a great picture of Christian ethics right here. Is God's not just saying, hey, don't don't steal. And he's not just saying, just, just work so you take care of your own needs. But he's going so far as to say, work so that you can also take care of the needs of others. How are you doing, guys? Are you stealing from anybody, your employer, anybody like that, the government? Are you taking advantage of people? Are you using people? Are you using the church? Are you using your friends? Are you using your family? Are you using your coworkers? That's not in line with who you are in Christ. If you're doing that, you're not speaking love to God. Because are you speaking love to God and how you blessing people instead of using them? How can we do that? That's hard. Being selfless? I'm pretty sure that's like one of the hardest things ever. How do you do that? Well, when you see Jesus, you go back to the gospel, you see Jesus, what's he doing? Jesus leaves heaven he leaves the privileges of deity where everybody, we should all be serving him. That's what's right. That's what's fair. But instead, he comes to earth and he serves us. And he labors for us. On the cross, Jesus is paying the penalty of our sins. When we see Jesus dying for us, guys, it moves us in response to his great love to say, oh, I want to love him. He says, love him by also meeting the needs of others, just as I, Jesus, met the needs of those who could not meet their own needs. You. You turn around in response and meet the needs of those who can't meet their own needs. In response to my love, love, And as a result of what I've done for you, in dying for you, I've given you my spirit within you so that you have the power to love and meet the needs of others. How are we doing with that? Are we living in light of who we are? Verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. I wish it didn't say that. I'm really not good at this one. I'm doing all right with like the stealing thing. Like I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. But again, re- see this, evaluate this according to not your standing before God, but how you're responding to His love by giving Him love. And know this: that God actually cares about what comes out of our mouth. We talk so much; <laughs> it's easy to just downplay it, like it's really not that important what we say, because we say a lot of things. Does not God really care about everything we say. God cares. When we're speaking in light of who we are, our words will build people up, not tear people down. Our words are going to be holy words. They're not going to be unwholesome words. How are we doing there? It's it's funny. I don't know. I guess it's not funny, it's it's, it's actually pretty convicting because verse 30, he, he follows that statement in verse 29 with this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like what we say really does matter to God to the point that the Holy Spirit like within us, we can grieve him, we can sadden him by how we talk. That's a pretty big statement. Just a quick aside, uh, also a good, a good verse to point to to say, like, the Holy Spirit isn't just this, like, it. It's really a person, the third person of the triune God, and that he has feelings. He can be grieved. He can be saddened. The Holy Spirit lives within us, guys, to help us transform, to, 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 to sanctify us, to help us live in light of who we are in Christ. And when we're not listening to him, we're not allowing him to do his work in him, we're not allowing him, we're not letting him. What's naturally in us, if we're not letting that come out, speaking words that build each other up, then it grieves him. It's as if he's saying, I, I, I want to help you become like Christ. I want to help you be, live out who you already are. Don't hinder me. Don't, don't turn me off. Don't work against me. When we do that, it grieves him. As what we say matters. How do we, how do we do this, though? How do we speak wholesomely? How do we build each other up? Because we can do it because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We can let him do that work. Why do we have the Holy Spirit in us? Because Jesus on the cross died for us, making a way for us to be reconciled to God, adopted into his family, and then sealed by the Spirit for the day of our redemption, as this passage says. So the Holy Spirit lives within us. We're indwelt by God. Well, now we have the power as a result of the gospel to speak the language that God would have us speak, to speak in a way that God would have us speak that's in line with who we are. Guys, this is good news. We have what we need to do this. Will we let him do it in us because of what God has done for us in Christ? Guys, that's, that's all, that those are, that's the beginning of the characteristics, the conduct of godly, a godly life. One thing I want to point out to us real quick though before I close this is that all this also happens within, the, within uh, a context. So you say this is the context of a godly life. Those are the characteristics of a godly life. Here's the context of a godly life. The context of a godly life all happens within relationships. Did you notice that? Every one of these things is relational. Are we tell the truth to people or we put it on mass. Are we, are we being angry towards people? Or are we forgiving people? Are we stealing from people? Or are we blessing people? On and on and on. It's all context. What's the context then of a godly life? It's relationships. As relationships are incredibly, incredibly important. What God wants to do in making us like Christ is He wants to move us into deeper relationships and He wants to impact how we relate within those relationships. He wants us to have great relationships. And if you are growing in your walk with God, one of the things that you will find is that you will be going deeper and deeper into relationships. You can't do it alone, and God's Spirit won't lead you into it alone. He's going to lead you into relationships. It's the context of the godly life. Why is that the context? Well, a couple things real quick. Relationships expose our need for change. So they help you see that we need to change. I mean, how many of us have been married or had a roommate and realize this is completely true, right? You get into close proximity with somebody and you realize, oh man, I'm, I'm not quite the good person than I thought I was. I'm way more selfish than I realized it. Relationships expose that. Relationships don't make that happen. Relationships expose what's already inside of you. So you can realize your need for change. That's helpful. The other thing that relationships do is that relationships encourage our change. Relationships encourage our change. How do they encourage our change? Because when you have people relating in a godly way, it encourages you to do that, doesn't it? If you wrong somebody and they forgive you, does that not have a major impact on you? When someone uses their words not to tear you down but to build you up, does that not have a major impact on you? When someone doesn't take advantage of you but works hard either to like in their job or in other ways in order to bless you does that not have a major impact on you absolutely it does and when we are relating in relationships in response to as a result of the gospel it encourages others to relate in a godly way as well and when we find ourselves in a community where we're all doing that it has this incredible Impact on us, relationships encourage godly living, guys. That's the beauty of the church. That's what Paul's saying in the first part of Ephesians four. That's why we need one another. And just as a quick aside, the best way we do that in this church is not on Sunday morning. So that's helpful and this is important. But I really want to encourage you to also consider getting into a huddle. And a huddle is just our terminology for a group of like three to six that meet together on a weekly or biweekly basis to support one another, to know what's going on in each other's lives, to know how to pray for one another and to pray for one another, to encourage each other to be in the word and to hear from God and obey his word. And that in this really close relationship, we are known and appointed towards Christ and you can be known, and you can know others and point them towards Christ. God uses that to really grow you. It's really powerful. I want to encourage you to be in a huddle. And if you've got a connection card, you can. If you're not in a huddle, just right in the back, huddle. And we'll call you, and we'll give you more information about it, and let you, you know, get your answer any questions you have about what that would look like, or when they meet, and all that stuff. We encourage you to get into a huddle, because relationships help us grow. It's the context of a godly life. Okay. Right. I want to end us with one with just reading two more verses because what I love about Paul is that it's wild. He spends like three over three chapters driving home. This is who you are before he ever gets into this is how you should live. Three chapters. I mean like half the book. And then he gets a, He hits us with six verses on like ethical behavior. This is how we should live in light of who we are. And then he stops and he goes back to, hey, just remember that this is possible because this is who you are. And so he goes back to the power, the power to live a godly life in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Two of my favorite passage, uh, verses in the entire Bible, and we're going to talk more about them next week, but I just want to end up with this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Guys, how can we do this? Because of who we are in Christ. Who are we? The beloved children of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you're new, you've been born again, you're adopted into the family of God, he is your father, you are his child. And guys, children emulate their dad. It's who you are. I'm so much like my dad. It's just silly. It's weird. Ben, my brother back there, he can testify to this. But like, I uh, <laughs> like my dad's. A, he's a lead pastor of a church that he helped start. I am too. My dad drives a Ford F one hundred and fifty. I do too. My my dad had two boys and a girl. I have two boys and a girl. Uh, my my dad. Uh, I mean, I could just go on. My dad's favorite music. Or he loves music. I love music. His favorite musician is Neil Young. My favorite musician is Neil Young. I, I often say to him, uh, Neil Young's favorite, or not Neil Young's favorite. But Neil, one of Neil Young's favorite. Uh. <laughs> Oh, most well-known songs is Old Man. And in that line, in that song, the lyric goes, Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. And I, would say, I say that to my dad a lot. Why am I like my dad? Well, there's lots of reasons. Because to start off, I have his DNA in me. Second is that I spent 18 years in his life. And then I worked for him for five more years at his church, under, underneath him as a pastor at that, that church. I've been, he's in me, and I've been with him, and so I'm a lot like him. And guys, Paul sums up, be honest, don't sin in your anger, bless people, use your words to build up, forgive, he sums it up with this crazy statement, be imitators of God. It's as if he's saying, hey, do this. Let me just sum it up this way. Be like God. Just be like God. That's all. But then he tells us how as his beloved children. And guys, because of what Jesus has done as a result of the gospel and in response to the love of God displayed in the gospel, we are his children. And as his children, we can imitate our fathers. He's in us. He's given us all we need. Let us respond in love. Let us live a godly life for his glory and our good and the blessing of this community. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you, God, that this this passage does not say, "If if you put away falsehood, If you no longer steal, if you no longer speak unwholesomely, on and on and on. But God, it says, therefore. Therefore, in light of what you have done for us, in light of the gospel, in light of how you have made us new as a result of what you've done, and in response to what you've done, the love you have displayed for us, you've proclaimed to us, you provided for us in Christ, this is what comes. God, may it come. May us May, may we believe that this is what you already want to do in us, that you've given us the desire to live this way, and may we let you, let you live this out in us. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. May how we live communicate our great love for you in response to your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.